Good morning, everyone. Well, as Harry said, we're doing the one another's, uh, looking at a few of the one another's in the Bible. And today is love one another, looking at getting on well with each other. But more than that, showing grace to one another, showing mercy and showing a kind of extravagant love for one another. And uh, I don't know um, what you've been watching uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, I'm sure there will be a whole mixture of things. If you're a parent, you might have been trying to stop people watching this. If you're a young person, you might have been watching it. I don't know. But it certainly hit the headlines as one of the top three programs that people have watched this summer. And one of the, the kind of premises of this is people are trying to find love. They're trying to see if they can meet their match and if they can... Uh, meet someone who will be a life partner. And I read this uh, not really concurrently with the news about Love Island, and it says this, people were created to be loved, things were created to be used. The world is in chaos because things are being loved and people are being used. And there's something when we look at the Love Islands and the different things going on, and maybe they would say that they're being used, maybe not. But one man that was interviewed when he came out of the, uh, the villa where they all are said, people seem beautiful until you stay, and then up close, their beauty fades. And uh, part of that is because of the inner beauty that is really to do with love, love for one another, love for oneself. And there's something here that actually resonates with me as we look a bit at our world, that actually something has gone wrong that has got things twisted. And actually, we were created to love people. And Jesus is reminding his disciples of that. At the same time that the news was talking about Love Island, there was also this hitting the headlines in sharp juxtaposition almost, which was the release of the Thai boys uh, and, and a global team coming together in an incredible act of rescue, an incredible act of brotherhood and sisterhood that people who were involved says was beautiful, and one man indeed gave his life in that. The same week also, we had, I know it's hard for us to revisit this now, but we did well, and one of the reasons that uh, Harry Kane and uh, Gareth Southgate said that the team did so well was because of the brotherhood, because of the quality of relationship that drove the team. And they said more than any time, they'd spent more time than ever just building up friendships so that they could be brothers on and off the pitch. So we know, we know deep down that the quality of our relationships matters in our lives. And we know that actually if we're Christians today or if we're looking at faith, if we're looking at what Christ has to say, that there's a call on us to love. And we see it across the world beautifully from all faiths, from all people. And so actually why then did Jesus say that it had to be the hallmark of the Christian? Because actually, he's gathering in John 13, he's gathering the disciples together. He has just seen Judas go, ready to betray him. He knows that he is going to his death. And not only that, but he knows that the guy who's going to betray him has just left the room. And I wonder if those that you love in your life, the friends you have, the people you have, the family you have, if you had one last thing, just have a think, think about this, if you had one last thing to say to them, if you knew you were going to your death, 
a little bit grim, I know, but bear with me. Just think about what would be the one thing that you'd think, do you know what, you know, if you just get this, of all the things, I just want you to know this. At Mosley, it was don't support Aston Villa, but it may be different here, I don't know. But if you had one thing that you could say to them, what would it be? Just have a think about that for a moment. Brilliant, brilliant. I love you, a thank you. Uh, I love you and thank you for all the support. Beautiful things, gratitude and love. Well, very similarly, this is what Jesus wants to say. He says, this is how you will be known. This is, will be the hallmark. Francis Schaeffer in his paper, The Mark of a Christian, says that the first and last apologetic of the gospel of Jesus is how well we love. We can do alpha, we can do all the kind of exploration, we can do all the intellectual wrangling, all the cerebral looking at it, and that's all important. But at the end of the day, he says in his paper, what is the true mark of a Christian? It is to love one another well. Now, we know that Moses had already told people that it was a command to love God, but Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now, why is he saying that? That you love one another how? as I have loved you. In other words, I've been here amongst you showing you how to do it, showing you what it really looks like. How does he know? Because he's God, because he spends time with the Father. And I think when you look at the brilliant example of Jesus, which won me over as a non-Christian, when I got the chance to read one of the Gospels, I was totally unconvinced. I'd done REA level and had a real tussle with my A-level teacher. And I remember her saying, Judy, I believe there's hope for you because I believe that the questions you're answering, if you can just find an answer and find the true love of Christ, I believe you will be a passionate follower of Jesus. Now, that's in an RE lesson, A-level RE lesson. She now knows, uh, but I was very, very different in those days, uh, but she now knows that I did find faith when I was 19. But what convinced me in the end, yes, there was all that explanation stuff and looking at A-level and all of that, but actually what convinced me was this. It was seeing love in action for me on a beach mission, seeing a team that just got it and did it beautifully well. And Jesus says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I wonder if you're sitting there and thinking, oh, well, if you had my family, you wouldn't be able to love quite, you know, it's not always easy. Or if you work with the people I work with, it's very difficult. And the trouble is maybe, and Jesus probably gets that from looking at his disciples, that actually try harder won't cut it. Just grit your teeth and try and love a bit more through gritted teeth is not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, how will you do it? in receiving the love of the Father, just as he has done. William Barclay says that actually Jesus found the love to meet with the people from his night with the Father under the stars. That every time he breathes in, if you like, in the wilderness, in his times of devotion, he can breathe out this love. How has Jesus loved them then? Well, he's loved them with compassion. I love the fact that actually in the following verse, he says, my children, you cannot go where I'm going. There's warmth, there's compassion on them. It's not accusatory, it's loving. Hopefully, 
in John 15, as Harry read, it says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. That actually obedience can lead to this love flowing through our veins, if you like, as we follow Jesus. And the hallmark, and perhaps if I can dare to say it, the hallmark of Christian brotherly and sisterly love is grace. It's mercy. Jesus is going to his death knowing that it's for us that he's going to die. And yet he says, love one another, knowing that actually he is going to lay down his life for his friends, as we read in this passage. And I don't know if you're thinking about your week coming up, if you just think about the opportunities that you might have to show this love. But I was reading a a story a couple of weeks ago about a guy called Johnny. And Johnny works in a shopping mall in America. And uh, he has Down syndrome. And uh, he loves the Lord with all his heart. And he went to a conference uh, where they said to them, every one of you gets an opportunity to communicate my love in some way. What will you do? And the woman leading it challenged them all to think about it. And Johnny went away and he spoke with his dad and he said, well, he's the bagger for this supermarket. He bags up the shopping. And so he thought, I know what I'll do. So he printed off and wrote hundreds and hundreds of messages to give people hope and had his, his dad print them all off on the computer, cut them all up to put into every single bag of shopping that he bagged up. Words of love, words of encouragement, words of affirmation, not just you have a nice day, but something to hang on to. And he printed them all off, and then as he was doing the shopping each time, he would put one of them in. And after this has gone on for a few days, uh, the, the manager of the store comes out and sees this line for Johnny the Bagger that is way longer than anybody else's. And he's going, oh, till three's Phil, you know, you don't have to go there, trying to move people over by the tannoy. But people are saying, no, we want Johnny's uh, line because people want hope. Johnny's line was the longest because everyone wanted a message a message of love, a message to get them through. And this started to really infiltrate the whole of the shopping mall because of what Johnny was doing. So the guy doing the bakery started to give away some of his bread to people. The people doing the flowers started, if if one of the flowers had broken off, just giving them as buttonholes to people. And there was a transformative thing that happened in that mall, a huge mall that started with a guy who had some limits, maybe in physical terms, but actually loved well. He loved his God. He was proud to be a believer. And he thought, what could one thing could he do? And I love that story. Why? Because it's simple, it's hopeful, and any of us could do it. We can do something like that. We can do the small things as well as the big. And people are, we know, leaving church. And one of the reasons, if you interview people or if they're asked, is because they want to know if it's authentic and they think it's hypocritical. Now, rightly or wrongly, we then have a charge from the Spirit, from Jesus, to go out and love people well. That actually our public and our private persona keeps on shutting down and getting closer so that we are those people, as Francis Schaeffer says, that have the hallmark of love running through us. We'll get it wrong. Every single one of us, probably this week, will get it wrong. But that's the grace and mercy that Jesus wanted the disciples. And if you think about who they were as a team that he's talking to, 
Just think about who they were. One of them's just left the room to betray him. Peter is just about to deny him. And yet Jesus says this is the most important thing. Love one another, and that will be how you show love to people, how you reflect the love of Christ. Rick Warren, uh, his son, committed suicide, as some of you will know, tragically, a few years ago. And he talked about the need for people to be present with you. He says, when people are in deep pain, they don't need explanations, advice. They just need you to show up. Just be with them. It is the healing ministry of presence. That's another one that feels all right, doesn't it? We can do that. You know, we may not have the right words to say. Many times we don't. But we can sit and have a cup of tea with someone. We can be silent with them. We can weep with them. I'll never forget my first death, if you like, as a pastor was of a baby. And I just felt a total failure because all I did was just go and cry. And I remember driving home thinking, why on earth am I a pastor when I couldn't think of anything at all to say? And at the end of the day, I got a message from them saying, thank you for just crying. Because things are beyond words, aren't they? And so actually, love sometimes is showing up, even when it's hard. When someone's grieving, we shy away from it sometimes. But actually, to be present, to be with people. I love this picture. I know we've shown it before, but it's one of my favorite of the year. Um, and I want that, um, because if you look at the world we're in, how many distractions there are. It's harder and harder than ever to be in the moment, isn't it? You know, harder than ever, I was on London Tube yesterday and I literally was in a carriage where every single person was on their phone. It's replaced what used to be the newspaper to hide. We now hide with our phones. And yes, people are probably connecting with people, but there was no one who looked like this lady. And I think I shared with you last summer when I went to see Coldplay and so many people recording what was going on that I thought, is anyone actually here? And then Chris Martin actually said, we're going to do one song where I want all of you to turn your phones off. And people were turning to each other going, oh, isn't this great? <laughs> the relief. And you think, well, you can't do that. But actually, there's an addiction that forms to be present in the moment because this love that Jesus is talking about is not through gritted teeth, it's supernatural. And how will we know those moments where we're called to excel in love through discernment of the Spirit, through those hunches to go the extra mile? Because there are some stunning people, some of them very good friends of mine and family, who do not believe in Jesus, and yet who love extraordinarily well. So if that's the bar, we have to pray for this. We have to pray that it will be full of mercy, full of extravagant grace. Reading about the Amish community when somebody was shot, the whole community, village, going round to the home of the shooter to show grace. That's the kind of love Jesus is talking about. It's radical. It's like nothing the disciples had ever known before. It's fully present, but fully discerning. In John 15, uh, the verses that we, we read there, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. For as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And this is the bit that helps me most. If there are people in your life and my life that are difficult to love, and there probably are, 
Let's just turn the tables for a minute on ourselves. Are we or were we difficult to love ever? The answer is yes. In Romans we read, he loved me at my darkest. Your worst moment, if you can think of it now, you're not going to have to say it to anyone. I can think of quite a few. God loved me just as much then as he does at my best moments. So if we know that we receive that love, then actually it starts to make sense that we can excel in it. I love this uh, by Madeleine Longley. She says this, We do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. I believe more and more that the quiet, silent business of loving people will be more of an apologetic than all the wrangling and all of that. All of that is important. But what really people in our society are crying out for is a beautiful love, the love that persuades. That's what got to me and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's love that persuades us alongside his truth. And I love the fact that that's not trying to discredit what people believe. There's too much of that in the media. I've said this many times. Christians always been known for what we're against. What about what we're for? We're for love. We're for Jesus. We're for mercy, for grace that does go the extra mile and then some. I love this from Pope Francis. He says, I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting and dirty because it's been out on the streets, rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. It is messy. It was so lovely just this morning, turning up, I've not been to this venue before, and seeing the joy, you know, people going out in the pouring rain just to welcome with a big grin, because actually it's love, it's family. It is messy. We, we roll our sleeves up. There's many, many things that God is going to ask of us as a body in the next year where we are out there doing different things, pushing the boundaries because we don't know how long we've got to love this world that Jesus has given us to love, to persuade with love. A church that is bruised, well, we know we are, hurting, yes, dirty, yes, because we're in it. And actually, that's where Jesus wants us. He wants us out on the streets. I loved you at your darkest, as it says in Romans. Uh, some of you know that um, a, a month or so ago I was in Korea. I have shared a little bit uh, with you um, about that. But I was working with North Korean uh, people, defectors, some of whom have literally just arrived in South Korea and are incredibly traumatized in a detention center where they are helped. And they're being taught basic things. And one of the things that it was my privilege to teach them was about love. And the reason for that is because the only way they had heard the word love was through the state. If you love anyone, it's Chairman Kim. That's the only person you can address as loving, loving you and you reciprocating, not your family, not your children, not your husband, not your wife. 
And yet there was a lady on a mountainside doing her washing. We'll call her Mrs. Goo, that's her code name. And she said she was just there out in the open. Her husband was nearby and she heard the word of God. She just heard a voice, an actual audible voice saying, I love you, my daughter. Now, if you think you've never heard the word love, you've not been allowed to hear it out of the context of politics in the state, and suddenly you hear that for you personally, it makes me go tingly. That's God. You know, in North Korea, where no light is supposed to be, where God's not supposed to exist, she hears a voice, and when she finally defected and when she finally heard the gospel, she said, I've heard this one time before on a mountain when I was washing clothes. God's heart for every single person is that. But there's so much noise. She managed to have a quiet moment by a river and God spoke to her. But how many more people, whether they're in North Korea, whether they're in Birmingham, whether they're right where we are working, are crying out to know you are a daughter who is fiercely loved. How do we know how much God loves us? Because Jesus said these words in John 13 and John 15 before he was going to die for us. You know, he says, greater love than has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. So as we look at loving one another, as we look at this as the hallmark of the Christian, as we know that there is great love, beautiful love, poured out across the world by all faiths, by people of no faith, there is a call on us, a supernatural call, that actually the fruit of the Spirit will show himself in us and through us. I don't want to embarrass anybody here, but they are here. Um, we had a lovely story through Money Advice uh, just a couple of weeks ago of a family who had a child who they were struggling so much with, they did not know what to do, and they were so badly in debt that they thought there was no way out for their child and no way out for their finances. And through the work of uh, Julian and Liz and the team at Riverside Money Advice, they found a connection with Riverside that they, they said, who are these people that love us enough to do this work? And then uh, their little one had a teacher who is here in this room who loved them when they were so difficult and found out that the teacher was from Riverside and said, what is this Riverside church that is loving my family like this? I can't think of a prouder moment for us as church than that. For all the things that we will get right or all the things that we will get wrong, for the things we will agree on and disagree on, and there will still be those things, that heart to love well is the great and last apologetic. And it can be anything. Johnny the bagger, <laughs> beautiful. All of us scattered this week, loving one another, and that's in the church and outside the church. Jesus made it very clear. I want you to love one another well because actually I want the world to see it. I want the world to see that it looks different. It worked for me. It worked for me. Growing up in church, I saw the love even though I didn't understand the theology. And then actually when I did see love in action, it was the final apologetic for me. Let me pray for us as, as we respond. Maybe their band can come back up. At your darkest.
I pray for every one of us that we would hear that now spoken to us afresh. That in our worst moments, in the moments that we probably haven't even told maybe even the people closest to us, at our very worst, you loved us. You loved Paul, who was a murderer. You loved Peter, who was to deny you so much that you said, build my church. You love Judas, even though he betrayed you. And you love us, even though we betray and deny you. And Lord, may we breathe in, even now, a love that is supernatural love. A love that is full of grace and forgiveness. That as a people who've been forgiven so much ourselves, that we can forgive even the darkest things done to us. Moved by your spirit now we pray as we receive the Father's love afresh for us. We love because he loved us first. In the beautiful name of Jesus yes. who died for us.